0: Welcome to the Reunion Bellevue podcast, a place where everyday people apprentice to Jesus. We're glad you pulled up a seat and we hope that today's lead-in encourages you to take your next step. All right, good morning. We are in our third week discussing our culture statements. Our culture statements are really there to do a couple of things. Uh, They indicate who we are and who we are becoming. And kind of why we do what we do. And if you've missed the last couple of weeks, I would invite you to go back online and listen to those conversations as they outline why do we call ourselves apprentices? What does it mean to say that we are doing that and how are we becoming apprentices? And it really does outline some of the other things that we do and why we do them. But this morning is really about our second statement, people. A culture of table where we open our lives and hearts to one another by choosing relationship and creating space. The table is one of the most valuable items in our home. It's where we gather to share evening meals with our kids. It's where Kristen and I can reconnect as a family and even create new connections with friends and with our neighbors. Rosaria Butterfield says this, uh, The table is where strangers become neighbors and neighbors become family of God. And we love that because the kitchen is the most important room in, in our home. If you've ever sold a house or wanted to buy a house or were in the market to renovate your house be prepared to pay for the kitchen because it's a staple and it better be functional and durable because the kitchen is a high traffic area it's going to get bumped bruised if not in some way destroyed because the kitchen is the heart of many people's homes and for jesus it was exactly the same if not more because the kitchen table it was set aside for your in crowd your safe crowd your just like me crowd because it was also a place where you'd worship god Years earlier, Jerusalem was, was taken over by another country, another force, and the temple was destroyed, and, and the people were sent into exile. This is terrible on many levels, but especially for the spiritual community, because they knew that if they wanted to be with God, they had to be close to the temple. But what do you do when the temple's gone and you're nowhere near your city anymore? How are you supposed to continue to have this relationship with your God? So, the rabbis got together and they started asking these questions. How do we continue to worship God in a culture or at a time in life when the stuff that we used to do, we just can't do it anymore? What does it look like to be close to God when the whole structure's fallen down? I love these questions because I think we find ourselves in uh, not a similar, but there's uh, some overlap there in our questions, isn't there? COVID has made us have to reevaluate how we do what we do because we're not allowed to do what we used to do. And so, we have to be creative. But the rabbis were creative, they came up with this idea. So they went to their people and they said, the temple is now your home. The priest is now the husband or the dad or the older male. The altar where sacrifices were given is now your kitchen table and those sacrifices that were offered in order to say you're thankful to God or I'm sorry, God, those sacrifices was now the meal that you would normally serve. This is amazing. I love it. It's a beautiful symbolism. It's a beautiful picture of God and people in a home. But it did come with some issues because the original temple, it was off limits to a great deal of people. If you were sick, menstruating, Gentile, or failed at any point to adhere to the cleansing or lifestyle rules and regulations, you were not allowed to be in the temple. An act like that would bring the wrath of God upon your community. So they agreed when it came to your house, those same, those same temple exclusion rules had to apply because it might bring wrath upon your family so the home now became a castle to be protected a sanctuary for your inner circle a safe place for people just like you does that sound familiar has the church become that temple has our homes have they become those castles But Jesus shows up and he's a bit of a rebel, wasn't he? He had this tendency to poke the bear, to upset the rhythms of segregation and to create space for connections and community. If nothing else, Jesus shows us what God is really like. And it's good news because of those passages we read earlier from Matthew chapter 4 where he calls those brothers to come and follow him. Matthew chapter 9, 9 where Jesus calls uh, Matthew, the tax collector, to come and follow him. And in these verses, we learn a lot. But first and foremost, Jesus, I want you to know, he calls us into community. We are created for and called into community as apprentices of Jesus. We're not called as an individual to personally follow Jesus. We're called as an individual to join a community who is following Jesus. But a Pew Research survey asked Christians a a little while ago how they preferred to grow spiritually close to God. And do you know what they said? By themselves. The number one way people preferred to grow closer to Jesus in this survey was by themselves. I find this disturbing because we were created for and called into community as apprentices of Jesus. This life of apprenticeship is a relationship. That's why I say I never invite people to church. I only invite people into my life. Church is not an event we attend, but a lifestyle of apprenticeship we engage. And friends, you're invited into our lives, into this crew, into this community, this family who together we'll travel this journey of apprenticeship to Jesus. But the question is, what kind of community? I mean, if we say we're people, a culture of table where we open our hearts and lives to one another by choosing relationship and creating space, what in the world does that even mean? Because there's this image in in, in most, or I don't wanna say most, but a lot of Christian circles that the church in Acts chapter two is is just the thing, like it is, it's the marquee moment where every church should kind of try to be like that. And don't get me wrong, There are some beautiful verses that capture the reality of the early church, but certainly not the complete experience of the early church. And so if you opened your Bible to Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 and following, I'm going to read it in just a second. We're going to see what type of community Jesus was creating and how it went against the grain of the like-minded groups that gathered around home tables in safe kitchens. And so in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 and following, it says this, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12. First, Simon, also called Peter, then Andrew, Peter's brother, James, son of Zebedee, John, James's brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrays him. How many of you just skip names when you get to them? Don't feel bad, I do the same thing, but I want us to take a moment and really pay attention this morning to these names, especially the additions that are given to the to the names because it's really helping us understand who is present. And in this thing, in this list, we see a bunch of names, but a few descriptions. we got a few religious adherent fishermen we've already met, a few guys we haven't. But we also have Matthew the tax collector, Simon the zealot, and Judas the betrayer. Why are these additions important and what do they teach us about the early community that followed Jesus? I want you to imagine for a moment you've got a group of fishermen together and in that mix includes a traitor who works for the enemy collecting taxes from his own people. You see, Matthew wasn't just a tax collector for Israel. He worked for the oppressors. He worked for Rome. The nation is holding your city and the people captive. He's a traitor and everyone hates him, maybe rightly so, because tax collectors were viewed as dirty and opportunistic using their own people as a means to get rich. The Pharisees even called him a sinner, which... (laughs) wasn't a term like oh you swear or you do this and this and this it was more about this understanding that matthew didn't practice israel's faith he was a non-observant or non-religious jew what this really meant is that matthew wasn't just selling out a little bit he was going full roma on this like he didn't want anything to do with the traditions of his own people anymore he was selling out completely and so they called him a sinner they didn't want him around they didn't like him because he wasn't for them he was actually against him now imagine this guy sitting there and across the table is sitting uh, Simon the Zealot. Now, Simon isn't just an observant Jew following the rule, he's a radical Jew following the rules. He's a part of a militia called the Daggermen, who believed the only way to return Jerusalem was to take Jerusalem. So Daggermen would literally carry knives under their garments, allowing them to walk up to Roman soldiers without detection, to slit their throats. Yes, exactly. He was hardcore and would do anything to fight for his people. We're also introduced in this list to James and John, who Jesus refers to as the Thun- sons of thunder because of their explosive anger. This is the group who are invited to sit at the same table with Jesus and share their hearts and lives on this journey they called apprenticeship. Can you imagine the conversations between a zealot, a trader, and a couple angry brother- brothers and a bunch of fishermen? Imagine the reactions between a man who had given up on his faith and a man who would kill for it. Do you think it got emotional? Do you think it got personal? Do you think it got political? Do you think personal agendas were shared, argued and attacked? You bet and you can read about those interactions in the New Testament. But here's the important note about all of this. Jesus uniting presence was greater than their differing personal agendas. And at the heart of this community, Jesus was the most important person and opinion. There was room for difference in their unity to Christ. And this is the point of our culture of table where we share our lives and hearts as we choose relationship and create space. We are not a melting pot where everyone who gathers around our table has to think, look and act the same. There is room for difference in our unity to Christ. And this culture of table blew the minds of the people in their communities. Imagine this ragtag mix of people from every walk of life with every different opinion, choosing relationship over agenda. Their communities would look at it and say, you have no business being friends. You have no business being together. You don't agree on anything. And yet they would say, actually we do. We agree to follow Jesus. They chose Jesus over difference. There was room for difference in their unity to Christ. Together as a community, they agreed, we follow Jesus. Was it messy? Yes. Did they argue? Yes. Were people added to their daily numbers in the midst of this, in spite of this? Yes. So how do we today focus our minds on that same unity? How do we allow for room or how do we allow room for difference in our unity to Christ? The first thing? by uniting ourselves to our pursuit of Jesus. As your pastor, I'm not going to tell you, you have to agree with me. I'm not going to tell you you have to you vote like me. I'm not asking you to follow me. I'm inviting you as your pastor to follow Jesus. I'm not here to guide you towards my agenda, but to the truth, Jesus. I will seldom give you my opinion, but I'll share you what I'll share with you what Jesus says. And it's our hope that together we can learn that Jesus' uniting presence is greater than our differing personal agendas. At the heart of this community, Jesus is the most important person and opinion. Second, by choosing relationship. Last week we discussed the need to repent, meaning to focus our mind on Jesus' life and teaching as a means of our formation. This choice to focus on our relationships is a way in which we begin to live like Jesus. And so when I think of Reunion Belleville, I seldom think of the liturgies or the the messages I have to prepare or the things we have to do, but I'm always thinking about who we are doing them for. I'm thinking about you. When I think of the church, I think about you and I'm excited to say that I choose you. You see, each night when I tuck my kids into bed, I call them my son and my daughter because as much as that might be true biologically, there's a deeper truth that says, I choose you. And I take great pride in saying that Reunion Belleville isn't something, it's a collection of someones, like you. It's our hope that as a crew that you take pride and joy in choosing us as well. I say thank you every time we're together because out of everything that you could be doing on a Sunday morning or a Thursday night, you are choosing us. Thank you. But more importantly, I want you to remember that Jesus has chosen you. We purposely place the table at the center of our gatherings as a constant reminder that we all gather around the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that is God's number one sign that you've been chosen. We do this because regardless of what we think about ourselves and, to be honest, what we think about other people, we are learning to trust in what Jesus says about us. His body was broken for you. His blood was given for you that you might not have life, but life to the fullest. This table represents what Jesus says about you. You are worth his sacrifice. You are worth his very life. You are chosen to be our church, but you are chosen by Christ. So we may never vote the same or think the same about politics or economics and the vast array of other things that the world says we should agree on. And if we don't, we can't be together. I pray that we understand and agree on this one thing, that Jesus Christ has died for you. So here at Reunion, this table isn't just a place to set some stuff. This table is a constant reminder that we're choosing relationship with each other because we are chosen for a relationship by God. There is room for difference in our unity to Christ because Jesus chose you. And in response, I pray that we choose one another, which brings us to this last, uh, the second last uh, step that we could take in helping us establish this culture of table. And it really comes down to commitment to consistency. It means that if we're going to get to a place where we share our hearts and lives, that depth of relationship doesn't happen overnight and it certainly doesn't happen a few times a month. I know consistent means different things to different people and COVID certainly is impacting how we live uh, together in community. But I want to invite you to a bit of an invitation or a challenge experiment with me and i'm going to call it for better or worse i'd like to invite you or challenge you to join us for four weeks in a row for better or worse and let's see what happens create space in your life for one another and let's see what happens maybe it's better maybe it's worse in four weeks i think we'll find out but i think and here's the other thing i think that if we can take advantage of the limited opportunities we have to create space for one another we'll hear less statements and more reasons we're gonna get to know each other's lives and hearts more and it won't just be this is what i believe and this is what i say we're gonna hear the story behind the statement more importantly we're gonna hear why we think the way we do so we we share more than an event here and we'll know more than statements we'll actually begin to experience church we'll begin to enjoy our culture of table which then now does bring us to our very last point this is an open table this table doesn't belong to me or to us we have been invited to set this table for Jesus so when we say open table we mean open to anyone and everyone questioning curious skeptical open or interested in this Jesus this Jesus centered way of life we call reunion the only thing we ask is this are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you saying yes to this apprenticeship lifestyle that we understand is important as followers of Jesus? That's it. That's the only thing we'll ever ask. Because we're not a come and see event, but a community of people sharing our hearts and lives as we choose relationship and create space. We are Reunion Belva, We're apprentices and people. We are your church, for better or worse. When you think about our culture statement of table, where we open our lives and hearts to one another by choosing relationship and creating space... What is God saying to you this morning, and how will you respond? Thank you for taking the time to engage with our lead-in from this week. We pray this teaching helps you grow in your relationship with God, our crew, in the city. But this teaching is really just the first step. Our community values the practice of Jesus' teaching. So how might you take one step in applying what we talked about? We would love to see you face-to-face for better or worse And so if you haven't had an opportunity to hang out with us as a crew, please uh, take this invitation to come and be with us either on Thursday nights around the fire or Sunday mornings in person. We look forward to hopefully seeing you soon. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's lead-in. We pray that you were able to learn something about Jesus today, but equally important, we pray that you sense a step you might take in response. What would it look like for you to live with Jesus today in light of our discussion? You can learn more about our community at www.reunionbelleville.com and we're always here to walk with you.